you so much, Farah, for being here today. Farah Modley is a full-time in-house lawyer, the owner of her own commercial firm, Prosper Law. She helps businesses, empowering them to prosperity, and she is what she calls an online business lawyer. I am very excited to be here today with Farah because I really want to learn all the story behind uh, Prosper Law and also her own journey as a lawyer. Thank you so much, Farah. And thank you, Deborah. about you. Sorry, what did you say? Uh, please let us know about you, your story, yeah. your background, and how Prosper Law came to light. How did you create this amazing commercial firm? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been a lawyer now for about seven years, um, just over seven years. I've always wanted to start my own law firm. Um, but it's always been that um, kind of fear of going out and the unknown, you know, where are you going to get clients from, cash flow, all of that sort of thing. So I've always kind of shied away from it um, and, and wanted to make sure that I always had a full time job. So um, it's really come about because um, I had that burning urge to start a business, but at the same time wanted the stability of having a full time job. Um, and it got to the point in my career where I was able to do both. So I still have my full-time job to start the business and get some traction behind it um, before fully making any kind of jump over to the business. Um, and so there's that, I get the best of both worlds. I get the stability and I also get that um, opportunity for entrepreneurial creativity um, and, and starting my own thing and having my own baby. Um, so, so that's where I'm at now, um, working full time. I have a law firm and that's, I'm really gaining some traction behind it now. Um, how I, how I kind of got into law in the beginning was I actually moved to Australia from the United Kingdom when I was about 12 years old, um, with my parents and my brother. Um, and at the time my dad was, um, a builder working in the building industry, um, it's quite volatile, you know, some, sometimes there'd be a lot of jobs on the go for him and then other times not so much, it would be quite quiet. So I was used to the kind of, um, I guess, stresses that he had to endure in running his own business. Um, I found it interesting and I guess um, that's why it, that kind of informed my desire to have that ongoing stability of, um, you know, being employed by someone else at the same time as having your own business. Um, and so when we moved to Australia, um, we, we didn't have much money. Um, I've never had a, a silver spoon in my mouth by any means. Um, in fact, all throughout university, I was a cleaner. Um, so I, I certainly, you know, I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't know anyone who knew any lawyers. And it's quite, um, there's a lot of nepotism in the legal industry. So to break into it, you really need to know people. Um, and I knew that I had to bridge that gap between, um, you know, just being a law student like thousands of others are um, and being a cleaner and then getting to know people in the industry so that I could kind of um, push myself above the competition and, and make sure that I was getting the right skills behind me. Um, and so what I ended up doing at the beginning of my career when I was doing cleaning, when I was at law school, um, was I sat down and I thought, um, at what point is the competition low? Because you've got um, internships and graduate programs in the legal industry, and they're highly competitive. I think about 
5% of people that apply to them actually get them. So highly, highly competitive. Um, how can I make sure that I'm above my competition when the time's right? And what I did was I actually signed up to a temporary recruitment agency. So I, I put my hand up and I said, if there's any um, secretarial or administrative roles in the legal field that come up, you know, it might be that someone's away sick for the day or they've resigned. I'll put my hand up and I'll go and do that job. And um, they said, right, well, you don't have any legal experience. You've got cleaning experience. So don't hold your breath, but we'll see what we can do. And I was actually fortunate. I got um, I got a role as um, an, a receptionist at a barrister's chambers. And on about the third day that I was there, the um, a, a receptionist that was across the hall working for some different barristers, she actually resigned. And they said, oh, look, she was she was a bit bored. Um, you know, she didn't have you might be very busy before court in the morning and then quiet for the rest of the day. Um, would you like her job? Because you can study when it's quiet and you can obviously work when it's busy. And I mm -hmm. thought, what a fantastic job. Um, so, you know, that was just circumstances where you um, you don't give up. You, um, you you sit down and you figure out how you can beat the competition. And I was lucky enough that on day three of that that job that I got a, a full time job at a barrister's chambers, having not known anyone in the legal industry. And from there, it kind of snowballed because um, I got that job. And then six months later, I thought, right, I can move into a law firm now because that's going to open up the door for a graduate program. I'm going to know everyone there. Um, so why would they not pick me over, you know, the 5% of other successful applicants? Um, and so I got a job at a law firm. Then I got um, an internship at KPMG. Uh, and I got an internship at a, a quite renowned um, Queensland uh, law firm. And it just kept snowballing. The more experience I got, the more experience I was given. Um, and it ended up that by the time I um, was approaching the graduate stage, um, that I actually had a few offers under my belt. Um, I always knew commercial law was for me. And so I, I went into that um, and so, you know, just getting your foot in the door at the beginning, getting that initial experience to kind of kickstart your career. You never know what direction it's going to go in. For me, um, I've been an in-house lawyer for most of my career and now running my own business. None of that would have been possible potentially had I not um, been willing to take that, you know, low paying um, kind of entry level job as a legal secretary. Yeah, that story is amazing because most of the times we just get driven by our own assumptions, right? We assume yeah. that if we are in this step, we cannot go to the next one because that's what traditionally happens, but they are just concepts. And if we yeah. want to sometimes disrupt the models and try, we never know if this is going to be a, a door that is going to open. <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. Um, and I, I think um, people are often afraid that, um, you know, they're going to get rejected or someone's going to say no. But my philosophy's always been, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So just ask. If they say no, well, at least you tried. Um, and, and so I think living by that kind of motto will, will get you far. Just um, just ask the question, just try. Yeah, and also uh, somehow we've been conditioned 
to believe that no is a bad answer or that no means that there is something wrong with you. And that is not true. It doesn't mean that you're not qualified. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It doesn't mean that you don't have the right studies. It's just that the circumstance at that moment might not be the best, but not necessarily making it personal. So it's interesting to explore this because I can see how this can resonate with many people in how our interpretation of a no answer can affect or pushing forward as you did. So not being afraid yeah. of that because it's not personal. It's not personal no. after, after all. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's just a byproduct of timing. You know, timing's everything. Um, if you happen to come along and, and offer someone something um, at the right time, um, the chances of them saying yes are very high. And so if they're saying no, it's, it's probably just because the timing's not right. Nothing to do with you. Yes, for sure. That's amazing. So how do you currently help businesses to cut through the complexity? Because let's be honest, the legal world is very scary. And especially for women, we, we feel that getting into all of these terms, you know, all of this language that is used in the legal side for contracts, agreement, and all of this, is like we get scared of this. And on yeah. top of that, sometimes we don't understand. So it becomes yeah. complexity. I wonder yeah. how do you get help businesses to actually get through that complexity and to protect properly their businesses? Yeah, sure. So um, I was always kind of struck when I started in law that um, some lawyers would use phrases and things like Latin or, you know, things like that. Um, you know, and I, I was a law student and I didn't even know what they meant. And I thought, I'm not sure that that's the best way to communicate. It's almost egotistical because you're saying, well, I know this Latin phrase and I'm going to use it. And I know that you don't know what it means, you know. Um, so it's, it's for me, I see it as an ego thing. Um, and I think it's a very poor form of communication um, to communicate in a way that not everyone can understand. And I'm very used to um, explaining things and, and talking to people who are, aren't lawyers. And I think that's the beauty of having worked in-house. So I've worked within businesses, not law firms, but businesses. I've worked with accountants, with HR managers, with marketing teams, none of whom have law degrees. And so it's not very helpful and I wouldn't be doing my job very well unless I was explaining things um, in very basic terms. Um, and to be honest, it's not even um, uh, talking in a simple way. It's just talking in a human way, um, you know. <laughs> so making sure that um, the message you're trying to get across is actually received. And I think that's really helped. I have very rarely worked with other lawyers, only um, people from other professions. Um, and so my language style has really adapted to that. I'm very used to explaining things in a simple way. And the feedback from the clients that I've had um, for Prosper Law has been exactly that, that Farah explained everything. I understood what she was saying. Um, If you perhaps go to some of the other law firms, there's a bit of a disconnect there. And in fact, they might even go and do the work that needs to be done, but don't explain to the business owner why. um, And they don't that that kind of education piece is missing from the work. Um, 
you know, if it, for example, if uh, you write a contract for a business, um, but they don't understand what it means, how can they explain that to their customers when they're asking them to sign it? Um, so I, I always try and bridge that gap with my clients to say, well, I've done this work for you, but really it's in your interest to understand what it means. And so I'll take them through that over a Zoom call or over the phone and I'll explain clause by clause or, you know, whatever the legal concept is. And I'll explain to them what it means so that they can actually meaningfully use it in their business. Yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Yes, we definitely, I feel that we need in communities more lawyers that have that friendly approach that you have that allow us to trust, to be open, to understand what is what uh, we, need, we need to apply in order to protect the businesses. And of course, in an easy way, in, in a way that is a plain language, <laughs> we really need yeah. lawyers that can learn to communicate properly in a plain language with all of us. So it's awesome that you are actually an example of that. I wonder, as an online business lawyer, what are your particular tips that you do you recommend for online businesses in terms of their terms, um, their privacy, you know, the contracts, agreements, all of these requirements that are more particular in the online world. For example, the terms, terms of use, a copyright, privacy, yeah. all of that. What, what are your main tips for that? Yeah, sure. I mean, so on the one hand, you know, there are things that you have to have to be legally compliant. And it might be that you need a privacy policy. It might not, but it might be that you need a privacy policy. And, you know, having these wonderful terms on your website is great. But actually, um, I think rather than focusing on the terms, online businesses should really be looking at the substance of what they're doing. So, for example, if they're trying to if they're selling goods online, really doing a deep dive on the um, platform that you're thinking of selling through. So if it's Shopify, mm -hmm. having a look at how do they deal with data Um Uh, it, how am I going to store customers' information? How do I want them to use my website? When do I want them to pay for goods? And think of it from the customer experience point of view, um, because that will go um, that will go quite far to a making sure that your customers are happy, and b making sure that hopefully nothing goes wrong because you understand what the process is from a to b. Um, and then all the terms and conditions and those things, yes, they might be legally required and they might be nice to have, but just understanding that customer journey through your website, through buying something, through interacting with you, and then how there might be risks around that, that will be more beneficial to you um, to do right from the get-go than to just whack some words on your website. Um, you know, as the saying goes, talk is cheap. Um, and so it's really what happens behind the scenes uh, of your e-commerce business that's really important. Yeah, because what do you recommend um, to prepare this type of requirements? For example, if, if somebody has an educational business or coaching business or maybe digital in nature, but not necessarily is an e-commerce, and they have a website. Do you recommend having uh, some terms and conditions and how it would be the best way for them to do it? Because I personally have seen many 
people who start their businesses, but they don't put attention to this and they don't have this type of um, displayed uh, policies in place. What is your thinking about this? Yeah, sure. So I think, um, you know, if you're, let's say you're interacting with your customers over email, but they might have found you through your website. I think there's, there can be a little bit of a danger if you're emailing them, you know, 50 pages of terms and conditions that might scare mm-hmm. them a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Having it displayed on your website's preferable because they can go and find it, but you're not kind of forcing it upon them. But what is really important, let's say, um, let's say you have a coaching business or something like that. And you say, okay, it's going to cost this much for this many hours well, um, when when are you agreeing with your customer that you're going to be paid? How are they going to pay you? What happens if they don't pay you? All of those types of things can be dealt with in terms and conditions on your website, but it's really important to just um, point them in the right direction. So if you're dealing with them over the email, you can say, okay, it's going to cost this much. Um, please visit my website for the terms and conditions because part of making sure you have a legally binding contract is to make sure that you've tried to bring the terms to their attention. So it's fine to have it on the website and that's good because it won't scare them. Um, But just to point them in that direction to let them know that they're there. And that's a really good thing to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. What are the main elements that we need to be in order to be compliant as an online business? Um, As an online business, so Data is absolutely key, um, particularly for um, EU American based companies um, or if you're even just trading with those companies. So, you know, the beauty of being online is that you can be international quite easily, um, but you need to be really careful that you're dealing with customer data in a compliant way. And the reason for that is um, you might be subject to fines if you don't. And that's never a good thing when you're trying to run a business. Um, but also um, you don't want the reputational risk that comes with um, losing customer data or um, even a hacker getting hold of it. So cyber criminals, especially since COVID started, you know, it's absolutely rampant that, um, you know, it might even be as simple as a contact form on your website has been hijacked. And so when customers fill out the contact form, it doesn't actually go to you. It might go to a cyber criminal. And then they're able to pretend to be you and interact with that customer. And I've actually seen this happen. I've dealt with legal matters um, where this has happened. And so as the word gets out, um, you know, more and more customers have had this happen to them. It's a real reputational risk. So, yes, you might be legally responsible for something. You might get fined. But it's the reputational damage which is going to have long lasting consequences for your business. Um, You know, if you're known to be a business that um, is not very careful with customer information, not very careful with credit card information, that sort of thing, and there's been some um, impact to your customer base and word gets out, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to come back from that. Um, And there's been some really big companies across the world who have had this challenge and they're really struggling to bounce back from that. And they're, they're quite large companies, so... Um, it's really important to take care when you're dealing with information um, because it's all going to be, you're online, it's all passed over the internet. Um, and 
all of those um, technical IT interactions is very complicated. Um, you know, you'd have to go and get an expert or some third party IT specialist to help you navigate that. Um, and one thing that you can do to make sure or, or try and prevent that from happening is actually go and engage a third party IT consultant, pay someone, you know, a hundred or a couple of hundred dollars every month to just monitor your website and make sure it's secure. Um, and they'll give you a bit of advice on storing information and those kind of tips for the sake of a couple of hundred dollars and, and, and making sure that your business is secure. I think it's well worth the investment. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that. And how about copywriting? How I know that many people online um, go through this very often, which is that they put a digital product outside or um, a course or any type of product and then this gets copied. So how about copyright? How do you feel that it could be a good way to protect ourselves? Um, or what tips do you have for that? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess copyright can be um, a shield and a sword. So um, you need to be careful when you're when you're using copyright. And um, a good example is um, the fact that images are so freely available on the Internet. There's a, a kind of um, misunderstanding that because they're so easily accessible, I can just go to Google Images and find any image on the Internet about you know, a picture of a cat or whatever it is that you want and use it, um, it it still doesn't mean that you can legally do that just because it's easy to do it. So if you're using images on your website, you need to be really careful that you have a right to use them. Um, and I can say now that um, over the last few months, I've seen several instances where there's actually companies out there now and they will scan the internet for a particular image that their client owns and they'll find instances where people have misused that image and they'll actually write to them and say um, either pay our client you know a few thousand dollars or we'll sue you because you're breaching their copyright and that they can do that um, and oftentimes the person who's used the image Perhaps innocently, you might not know that you didn't have a right to use it, but nevertheless, you have. You just have to pay over the money because you don't want to be sued for potentially a lot more money. And so there's companies that are actually set up to do that. And they just take, they'll say to their client, if we find instances of misuse, we'll just take 20% of the fee. Um, and that's their business model. So being really careful on how you use other people's copyright is really important. Websites like Pexels and Shutterstock, you know, some are free, some are not, but they will give you a certain right to use those images um, for your own business use. And then the flip side is people using your copyright. So first of all, um, having those terms of use on your website will um, kind of communicate to your customer base and people who are visiting your site how they can use the information that's displayed, that they can't copy it, um, you know, and and um, reconfigure it, those sorts of things. So you're putting them on notice that they can't do that. Um, and then also, I think, um, just monitoring. So I think probably the biggest risk areas where your competitor 
is using your copyright for their own benefit. That's probably where it's going to become pretty problematic or someone's making some commercial benefit off of your copyright. So let's say you've taken pictures of um, people or products or um, maybe even yourself, if it's um, if a personal coaching business or something like that, um, you need to just monitor how other people might be using those images. And you can do this quite simply, actually, by using um, Google Images. You can drop an image into the um, search field and it will pull up every instance on the Internet of where that image has been used. Mm. So it's it's a free, free tool. You know, it's all there for you at the, at the tip of your fingers. So really make use of it. And then if you are seeing that someone's making some money or some commercial benefit off of your writing or your images that you've you've made, then you should really be trying to enforce that, making sure that you've got a monopoly over your own copyright. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you for that. Yes, and how about for the blogs and, and, and the written content that work similarly, right? It's it's helpful to have a, a copyright notice for, for people available. Yeah, so I a understand. copyright notice. Yeah, so a copyright notice is where the C is in the circle. Okay. Um, all that all that does is to just indicate to people that um, there is copyright. It's just telling them, hey, there is copyright, but mm-hmm. it actually doesn't, let's say you don't have the C on your website anywhere. It doesn't mean that there isn't copyright in it. Mm-hmm. It just means that you don't have the notice on there. But um, if it's something new that you've created, um, then there, w- there will likely be copyright in that material, whether it's text or an image or a video. Um, and so um, it's just there by virtue of you having created it. Yeah. And what does the phrase mean? What does the phrase all rights reserved mean? Uh, is something in particular in terms of legal, you know, implications yeah. or, or what is it? Yeah. So if you say all rights reserved um, on your website or in your terms and conditions, what you're saying is that um, if there's anything in your on your website or in your terms where it might be construed that you're waiving any legal rights. You know, let's say you've got a returns policy, which is very favorable to the client, um, but actually you want to pull it back a bit. You can do that if you have all rights reserved on there. It just means you're not actually waiving any of your legal rights. Um, there might be something more favorable on your website for the customer, but you can still choose to exercise your legal rights. So is so in conclusion, it is helpful to place that that phrase. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's certainly not. Um, it's certainly not harmful, um, and I think it it probably is beneficial whether you have it at the bottom of your website mm-hmm. or even in your terms and conditions that are displayed somewhere in your website. So, um, every everything helps, um, and whatever you can do to protect your business, um, especially online businesses, is always a good thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. That's incredible. That has been a lot of interesting uh, tips there in, in terms of how to protect the business. I wonder, Farah, what is your the meaning of success for you? We always ask that in the podcast. What does success mean to you at this point? Yeah, um, for me, it's that feeling of um, personal satisfaction. So having the business, um, you know, it's it's never really been the financial goals that you hit at the end. It's actually the journey getting to there. So 
Um, it's the journey and getting, hey, I got a new client, you know, that sense of personal satisfaction that you get. Or I just got a good review come through or I got some good feedback on some work I just did for a client. That sense of personal satisfaction, that for me is the success that comes with having your own business. Um, and it's really hard to replicate in um, any other setting, to be honest. If you're an employee of a business, um, there's not that direct impact to you personally. And so that personal satisfaction, it's not as heightened as when you have your own business and you and you have that um, really cool, fun, exciting, laborious um, journey of building and, and growing your business. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for that, for sharing that with the audience. That's exciting. We always like to explore the different inside ideas or personal uh, meaning that they have for this. Thank you so much. Farah, I no wonder, problem. is there anything that you wish I had asked you today? Yeah, sure. So um, I think what I just wanted to um, get out to the ladies that are watching this or, or any of any of the audience is to just say that, um, you know, make sure you focus on yourself because um, I think women in particular have a tendency, particularly if you have children or, you know, you've got a busy life for whatever reason that it is, there's a, a tendency of women to focus on others and kind of put themselves second. But um, I guess you um, you should put yourself first because that benefits everyone and really um, pursue your dreams. Put that first. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Yeah, that's true. Very often we, we see everything outside as the priority, but quite often we forget about ourselves and... If we don't take care of ourselves, then who is there then to take care yeah. of every single thing that we have to deal day to day and the daily challenges, the family, the kids, yeah. the life, the, the busy schedules, the work, everything. So thank you so much. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that reminder, Farah. No problem at all. And thank you very much for having me, Diana. Thank you so much. And see you in the next episode. Perfect. Thank you. Bye.